0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review
1: with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Paul Revere's to the great second American revolution here at the Conservative Review podcast at Blaze Media. Daniel Horowitz back in the house, your only source of independent conservative thought at a time when we need independence in more ways than one. So I got my heart pounding, as always, but I got my head pounding, too, because I didn't sleep enough last night. Right when I was about to go to sleep, after you know looking at a screen, researching, writing, talking for 15 hours every day, I see this video one of our Facebook fans passes on from this woman in Sheridan, Wyoming. Sheridan, Wyoming. Yes, the allegedly red state of Wyoming, talking about how she got sighted by a sheriff, for simply not wearing a mask inside their own business when everyone has the free will to go there or not go there. And she was in tears just talking about the effect on her business and everything. Today we got the further news that there are more than 36 million Americans out of a job, surpassing the levels of the Great Depression. Things that we could have never fathomed when the clock struck 12 a.m. on January 1st this year. Things we could have never fathomed in our lifetime, the tyranny, the malaise, the destruction, the dependency, the faulty, lying science, and now even arithmetic, the infringements of the basic tenets of the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. This is simply a battle of liberty versus lockdown. You know, Patrick Henry said, give me liberty or give me death. We have that in our lifetime, and, and as I've noted before, not to put down our founders, but uh, King George never did any of this. I mean, their lives were, were pretty free. Now, they warned they didn't, they didn't want the king to have his hand in government because he could potentially do the things that our governments are doing today, but he actually didn't do that. And they had free movement for the most part, um, certainly to open up a business, do whatever they wanted. They were self-governing self-gover- people throughout the 18th century. But here we are today. The battle lines are drawn. We know the side of tyranny, of lockdown. They are very clear. They're very emphatic. If you thought there was a shred of science behind this from the beginning, it's now become abundantly clear. Places with almost no problems are saying they are going to lockdown for three months. close schools, they're now talking about even in the fall what to do when there is zero, zero science behind that. Um, uh, you know, exponentially fewer deaths among children than there is during the flu season. It's on CDC's website. We're seeing again and again. And then we see the science every day. For those of you who don't get a chance to read my articles, you could catch me on Twitter at arm I'm putting out reams of data. Other people are as well because our government won't do it. I have one of my best pieces out today with a full chart from the Netherlands showing your infection fatality rate by age. Now, we're going to get into this a little bit more later because I want to get to our guest, Congressman Chip Rory. But what you see there is that for people under 60, the death rate is remarkably low. You have to get to 50 just to get to the 0.1 benchmark, 1 in a 1,000. Under that, it is 1 to 2 decimal points over Just to give you guys a little bit of context, any person on any given year in their 40s, in their 30s has a 0.15, 0.2% chance of dying from anything that that year that is exponentially higher than their death rate if they catch COVID. This is if you catch it, Um, even for a 50-year-old, it's 0.5, 0.5, five times greater chance of dying from anything else. Than COVID. And as we note, Netherlands had a 30% higher death rate per capita. These numbers aren't just from Netherlands, they jive with Denmark, with France, and with the top lines of everything we're seeing from the serology tests here. Because remember, when you have a 0.2 macro fatality rate, because the numbers are gangbusters among males above 80, you know, some have it as high as 15% for that cohort. So what that does is it skews the numbers. And if you would look at the people below a certain age, it's 0.001. And some, you know, if you get the kids, it's three zeros. And then remember, this is all a matter of taking the numerator of deaths and dividing them by the age cohort. But what if I told you almost all those deaths are people with certain underlying conditions? And if you took them out and you're out of a nursing home and you're out of New York City, it's going to be a fraction of even that. That is math. That is simple arithmetic. We have reams of data showing all of that. But it doesn't matter. I want to introduce one more piece of evidence before we bring on Chip. The second article I'm going to write today, I haven't written it yet. There is a story out of Montezuma County, Colorado, that's in the southwest corner of the state, where a 35-year-old was found dead in a park bench he had a blood alcohol level twice as high as the as the level that could kill you. Kerner put down a, on the death certificate alcohol poisoning as a cause of death. I don't know when the guy tested positive for COVID, but at some point he did, whether they tested the body or somehow knew when he was alive. And the state included that in the county's fatality <coughs> um, <coughs> tally, which went up from two to three. And the and the county government is now contesting that and saying, "Wait a minute! The guy absolutely did not die from that. Think about it: thirty five year old drops dead on a, on a park bench. You don't just drop dead in an instant from COVID. And when you're thirty five, we now know you have a point zero, um, what is it? Point zero zero seven percent infection fatality rate. And your general fatality rate is like." 50 times higher. I mean, that's lightning strike uh, level. And they're now coding it as such. How much more of this is going on throughout the country? Well, I could tell you a lot. On a given month, we have about, mm, let's say, you know, you take 2.8 million, divide by 12. So you have well over several hundred thousand dying per month. You have a quarter of that in nursing homes every month. We now know COVID is far and wide and it's largely asymptomatic and the death rate is much, 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 much lower than the 3.4% the World Health Organization said or the 8 to 10% they were scaring us with the known positive cases divided by the number of deaths. So that means that it's inconceivable that there are a number of people that were dying because people die every day. They happen to test positive. And without any shred of evidence, they put that into the pile. And now that we know that they need to justify this, we know this is going to go on more and more and more. Who is calling the balls and strikes? I don't know. But I don't want to sit and talk about this alone all day. So we're going to bring on Congressman Chip Roy. Everyone here knows him. He doesn't need an introduction. 21st District of Texas. He now has an, uh, a movement out, Let America Open. Has a very nice video we're going to play in a moment. Hey, Chip. How you doing?
0: (laughs) Well, Daniel, uh, after that uh, great monologue, I'm feeling pretty good because at least there's some people actually paying attention to the data, paying attention to what's really going on and trying to do the right thing for our country and make sure that, yeah, we protect those who need to be protected, but that we get busy living our lives because that's going to be what's going to actually make us healthier and better. So thank you for all you're doing and trying to highlight these things.
1: So, Chip, in in that vein – um, yesterday, I was putting out on Twitter, other people have pointed this out, during the H1N1 um, epidemic in 2009, uh, Dr. Fauci was asked about what to do. And he said, look, you know, if you're sick, you stay home from school. But he said, quote, you can't isolate yourself from the, west, from, from the rest of the world during flu season. Now, in that vein, I want to play for our listeners um, a minute-long video that you put out. Folks, take a listen. As Americans
2: are going through the, the situation we're going through now with the coronavirus, I talk to my dad a lot, a polio survivor. He's 77 now. He experienced it firsthand. He caught a virus, and his perspective is pretty interesting. His view is, of course, we should try to take care of the elderly and those who are sick and take care of those who are immunocompromised like I was when I had cancer. But his perspective as a 77-year-old is also shaped by life and the importance of quality of life and the pursuit of happiness let's get busy living and we can do the things we need to do to protect our families and make sure we protect those that are most vulnerable including him he's 77 and he has a tracheostomy but his view is we need to find ways to do that while maintaining our strength as a country That requires a vibrant economy and jobs. It requires people being able to go out and interact with each other and help each other. That's the American story. And that's what my dad wants to make sure my
1: kids and my grandkids are able to experience. Well, there you have it, guys. Chip talked about his father who had polio, understands what an epidemic is, and understands that you cannot cut off your head to spite your nose. There are certain things you just cannot do. You have to have a balanced, prudent, efficient, targeted approach to any problem. So, Chip, that was a terrific video. Could you elaborate on this a little more? Because I know a lot of my Facebook friends have, have pointed out that George Washington fought a revolution during a smallpox outbreak. That we had World War One, obviously, during the Spanish flu. And now we see, did you see the story... That the Boy Scouts will not be allowed to decorate graves on of, of veterans on um, Memorial Day, even though it's literally outdoors, where every single study has said it's not a risk.
0: I have not heard that. I think I'm going to go find a cemetery and go decorate some graves and dare somebody to do anything about it.
1: But uh, look, and, and I'm serious about that. I
0: don't want to know about that. But you know, if I want to decorate some graves, that's what I'm going to go do. I'm going to start telling some of these government technocrats to pound sand. But uh, you asked about my father, who grew up, uh, born during World War II. And like many Americans, his, his dad was over in the Pacific. Didn't see him until he was three years old. Uh, unfortunately, my grandfather passed away cancer. My dad had polio. My grandmother learned all that in the same fall. My grandfather died Thanksgiving weekend. My dad had polio. Uh, my grandmother raised him, and he survived through it. And the whole point of all that is he's 77 years old now. He's, he's difficult walking, and he has a tracheostomy as a result of the polio. But in the video, I recount when my conversation with my dad is. We didn't shut our country down, Daniel. We didn't destroy all that we have worked to have for our kids and our grandkids because we thought we needed to respond to a, a, a pandemic, an illness. Instead, we adapted. Yes, they closed a few pools in areas where there were situations, or they closed some water fountains. That's fine. None of us right now, you, I, anyone who's concerned about this wouldn't disagree with tweaking and changing how we adapt our nursing homes or our senior living centers and assisted living facilities, because we know that's a place where our elderly are getting targeted. We're fine with even making changes to make sure we've got our PPE in place and the things that we need to be able to respond. But the idea that we should shut our lives down, because Dr. Foxy gets up and gives some speech that changes every single week and ebbs and flows and winds, and we should destroy the very country that we inherited from our grandparents who sacrificed to give it to us through the Great Depression, through all of the hardships of World War I, World War II, and as I said, my dad in the polio pandemic. This is something that is completely anti-American. It is not in our bloodstream to do this. Yet, for some reason, we're allowing some of these local leaders, these local petty tyrants, and frankly, some of our national leaders, to define an agenda of fear, to define us as a nation that walks away from the challenge instead of addressing the challenge head on, and finding our way to make sure we take care of the vulnerable and then get busy living our lives. And then, as you know, and the data you're pointing out, the data is showing that we could live our lives pretty close to normally from age zero to 65 and have no real significant consequences that, that, that the data indicate uh, beyond normal virus season. And this is just something that we have to figure out how to navigate through without destroying our country in the process. And the last point I'll make. That that, we're, that I'm trying to get at in in the video and otherwise is the importance of living, importance of life, the importance of my 77 year old father, my 71 year old mother, seeing my grandson play little league, seeing my daughter in a swim meet, going and celebrating Easter with us. That's life. That's living, and we should get busy living, Daniel.
1: Very well said. And um, you know, I want to move to Texas. Well, I want to move there physically, but I want Literally, to move our discussion there. Come on, man. Um, come on down. But, but but here's the thing, Chip. Here's the thing. I live in Maryland, and you know, here we have the governor Lockdown Larry finally says, "You know what? I'll let the local officials decide." So lo and behold, now every county garbage collector becomes King George as well. And I'm thinking, "Damn, I got to move somewhere." But then I look at Texas and a lot of my Facebook uh, team and fans, they're sending me a lot of stories from there where even after the governor's order, there are tons of counties that are doing whatever they want, continuing to violate the Bill of Rights without (coughs) any justification of law, constitution and science. Um, And I'm thinking, is there a single red state left in the country? Like every state seems to now have this problem where they are not following the science. They are not giving us any justification as to what they're doing, why what they're doing is helping, who says it's helping, any sense of proportion. Obviously, in in a state like Texas, I mean, every single year in a state like Texas, 45,000 people die of heart disease, 40,000 of cancer, 10,000 of stroke, 10,000 of accidents. And, you know, in a state that large, the fatality rate from COVID is unbelievably low. And yet you're still seeing this stuff go on. So what am I missing with some of the county? I mean, I know you're in the federal government. You don't work state government. But how are these counties allowed to continue this?
0: Well, I think it's really important what you're just pointing out. Let's let's you know, your listeners are obviously very well informed because they follow you. I've been looking a lot at this data. One of my friends in Austin, Texas, Overt Roy has been putting out a lot of this under FreeOp and uh, which is an organization that he started. And putting out a lot of the data points that I think are really important for people to understand. And if you look at the overall data, particularly if you discount for New York, it is 50% and climbing, right, are the number of deaths that are clearly attributable to those that are in nursing homes or assisted living facilities. Then when you sort of move out from that and you look at the overall age breakdown, you talk about this all the time. I don't have the chart right in front of me, but it is a massive, massive shift. As you move up the curve and you're looking at the data points for people who are 75 and older, 65 and older, et cetera, and the curve goes up very steeply. Now, does that mean that we don't want to protect that population? No. But what it means is it's data that can tell you exactly what's going on in in the real world. And in the real world, if you're age zero to 65, give or take, you are in a – you know, pool of people who are relatively speaking, not at risk Again, relatively speaking, not at risk, right? We're all at risk every single day. Bill Maher of all people, how does Bill Maher become the guy (laughs) who's putting out a common sense solution instead of conservatives? Where are all the conservatives in the red States you were just talking about that are putting out anything nearly as sensible as Bill Maher or the barstool sports guy yesterday, right? Saying basically WTF, right? I mean, uh, I'm editing for, for the audience, but he's, he's out there saying, what are we doing, right? We signed up, you know, we, we were willing as a society, and I wrote about this in Newsweek today, I have an op-ed in Newsweek called Let America Open, and uh, in, in there I talk about, we accepted the idea that for a week or two, maybe three, yep. certainly no more than a month, you know, really a couple of weeks, fine, let's, let's pause our society, let's take a break, and let's make sure our hospitals can get caught up. Okay, That was reasonable to all of us. New York's getting hammered and it was the early stages. Not one of us really thought, hey, I'm, I'm 100% violently opposed to that. Some exactly. of us had concerns, but we said, look, whatever we need to do to make sure our hospitals are ready. But this curve flattening, quote unquote, has now become the, big, the biggest virtue signaling religion of its own, while the left is seeking to completely decimate – freedom in the United States. Don't kid yourself that this is what is going on. It is a targeted effort to destroy the oil and gas industry, to change the, the, the way we do things. I've seen more tweets and social media now coming from the left saying, well, let's rebuild smarter. Let's rebuild uh, the, the right way. Well, you know what the right way is? Whatever these central planners want to tell you how to live your life, that's the right way in their mind. We need to go the other direction. Get rid of the regulations. Get rid of the barriers and Entrepreneurs and independent thinkers to be able to solve problems and not let the statists in either party, and they exist in both parties, both parties have an enormous number of statists. Their statism just differs a little bit. I want freedom. I want the bedrock that built this country for my kids and my grandkids, and I know you do too.
1: You know, I wish in times like this, I had my video component to the show so you guys could see the chart. As Chip is talking, I'm looking at the CDC website and you can Google CDC excess deaths associated with COVID. And they have a dashboard. They have a national one. Then you could scroll down by state. And what's amazing, and this is a theme that is emerging, and we might have a special guest tomorrow if I can get a hold of him to really delve into this, is that when you look at the curve above baseline of excess deaths, In a state like Texas, the gradient, it is incomplete, but now we do have data from pretty much all of the peak, just not May, which is post-peak, that the gradient of above-baseline deaths is sharper and more noticeable on that chart in January 2018, the 2018 flu season, than it is today. And that that is an unbelievable thought because... If anything, the flu was slightly more ubiquitous. Still typically the same vulnerable populations, but more children do die, um, especially children die. Daniel, that's,
0: that's a really important point that you make,
1: right? Because, yes, the
0: curve and the distribution, if you go back and look at the data for flu, CDC, nobody everybody can go do that. You Google it. You can pull it up in 10 seconds. The distribution is similar. But there is a very key difference, which is that the flu is much more uh, prevalent as a percentage Uh among our children than is this particular illness thus far. And so when people go, when no one called for shutting down government schools two years ago in the 2017-18 season, yep. which was our, one of our worst flu seasons in, in recent memory in terms of what it did generally, but in particular for our children, right? I mean, I think there was 175, I don't know, some, some significant number of children died yep. across the nation in that bad flu season. But no one seriously said shut down our government schools. Now, it, 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 look—if if the government wants to relinquish management of the schools, far be it from me from getting in their damn way, <laughs> right? So if this is our pathway, and by the way, we should be thinking smart like this, like the left does. You want let, to let's let's be smart about how we rethink our reopen. Let's have schools being more under the control of parents yep. and of private entities and charters and ways that we can. Give flexibility so parents can decide, communities can decide. And now these local tyrants that are being, you know, fed from, you know, bureaucrats and these folks that are telling us how the government schools have done all because of money. And 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 now we're seeing what's going to happen. They're trying to control our lives by virtue of the government run schools this fall. That's the, that's the trick. That's the goal by, by some on the left.
1: No, it absolutely is. And I know I get a lot of messages from some of you guys telling me, yeah, don't, you know, cheer on the closing of the schools. The only thing I would say about that is that they're mandating the closing of private schools as well. And this is, you know, this is being used as a tool to disrupt everyone's schedule. Most people don't have, you know, the ability to transition into homeschooling right away. And no question. And that's to me, just psychologically, once you would have the schools open just because it's children and it's also just a lot of people that this whole thing would fall apart. So they can't allow that to happen. So that's why I think it's so important. But but again, I mean, I'm just as you're talking, I'm flipping through the different states. I mean, New York City obviously is above 2018, but but even there, I mean, you look at 2018, that was pretty steep and it's, it's like we went from zero to 100. I mean, and none of us, like you mentioned, are saying to do zero. We're saying it's disruptive to <clears throat> cut off international travel. That's going to take a chunk out of the economy to have, like, not have mass gatherings and things like that. That's going to take a chunk out, um, you know, obviously the nursing homes and, and keeping certain seniors and certain other people with known heart conditions away. That's going to be disruptive and disruptive for them. But there's a difference between... A disruption, maybe even a recession, than nuclear Hiroshima, and I mean, like that's that's the point. It's quantities, it's balance, it's you know. And, and the thing is, God doesn't give us the ability to have a zero sum game. No death from anything, anytime. time. And you know, you want to get away from the left guardrail, but you, you know, you have no luxury of just going as far as you want without hitting the right guardrail and killing more people from so many other things. Um, what I find very important as i mentioned in my article and i want to get your thought on this and what you're seeing in texas i know you were a cancer survivor is that you know how many americans know the charts i put out no nobody you, you would think and I, I thought this even till a few weeks ago like i just had a baby oh my god the baby's gonna get covid and die right i mean people think i, I know grandparents you know uh, they, they don't want to get near the kid and i'm like oh, you you mean you think that the baby could transmit to you? Like, you know, the truth is the evidence is not like that. And I'm already at second base. No, they think they're going to kill the baby. Um, They think like everyone has a 50% fatality rate. And the reason part of why it's so important for people to know that it's 0.001 for most people, for you know, people with certain conditions, certain age, it could be a few percent, as high as a few percent. But the reason people need to know that is because if you are having a heart attack, if you're having a stroke, if you have certain conditions of cancer, you need to realize that not treating that is more likely to lead to death than even in your circumstance um, dying from COVID. That is very important for people to know that.
0: Yeah, let's let's have some real talk. I was talking to uh, the heads of a local, regional, very good hospital in the district I represent in Central Texas. And I was told a story of a woman who called in to EMS with severe chest pain. And EMS wanted to come check her out. And she said, I don't want you to come because I'm afraid I'll get the virus. This is what we've done to our country. A woman is in severe distress with severe chest pains. And we have frightened her so much that she didn't want to get checked out by medical personnel for something that was a clear life-threatening moment for something that has a one in you know hundreds of thousands or whatever chance. And we're, this, is, this is the kind of psychological impact right now. It's not just her. We're psychologically destroying our country, right? So I, mean, I I hear all of these people who pop up talking federalism. I've written a book on federalism, right? I've worked on federalism my whole life, Daniel. <laughs> I believe in it. But I hear these people preach, like, well, let all the states figure all this out. Okay. But when your national leaders are standing up and screaming at the top of their lungs, about how dangerous this is that people are going to die, what do you think people are going to do? Yep. When they turn on the TV and they see the head of NIH who's up there talking about this stuff, what do you think they're going to do? And this is what I think is so concerning. This is where I started Let America Open. This is why I created LetAmericaOpen.com, to create a place, a central place to start pulling data together to give people a place to learn about some of the stuff you're talking about. We cite to your chats and to other people that are putting good information out there. I I said, my friend, Ovik Austin and putting out the data that people can see the real story that yes, we need to figure out how to protect people from a very bad virus. It is, it is a terrible virus for the people it afflicts and we've got to fight it. But, we want to lay out the second-order impacts of this on people. The cancer screenings aren't occurring. The woman that right now is going to find out she has stage 4 breast cancer when she finally gets her screening in a month instead of two months ago finding out she had stage 2 breast cancer and could yeah. have a better chance of fighting it. Why the hell are we doing that to people? It makes absolutely no sense, and it makes me angry. And if anybody wants to say, oh, well, they're just getting all angry, but yes, I'm getting angry about what we're doing through government policies and fear. To harm real people. People go running around talking about, you don't care about people's lives, you want people to die. Right. I sit around every morning waking up, scheming, figuring out how to make more people die from freaking coronavirus. I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And by the way, you didn't have a baby, your lovely wife did.
1: Oh, <laughs> believe me, when you sit there helplessly looking at the pain, you're like, you're kind of like gallivanting around the labor and delivery room. You don't know what to do with yourself. But, you know, you, you, you just remind me of a tragic story we had up at blaze.com that a mother who died um, during childbirth from a treatable condition that went undiagnosed due to the restrictions on her, her visit, her um, regular checkups with the OBG. And, you know, of all places this group yesterday funded by Hopkins and the and the um, Gates Foundation, the two biggest purveyors of panic porn. They put out a whole thing of hundreds of thousands of of maternal um, parents or women given birth and children are going to die from this. From and, and they didn't express it our way, but what they clearly were saying was from all of the shutdown. I mean, it wasn't from the virus. That's what they were talking about. And I mean, this is literally like saying, you know. You have a migraine. Let me chop off your head. I mean, certain things just aren't options as Fauci himself pretty much said his entire career until and including in January even February until mid-March. And it's just out of control. So it's the lives cost. But now I want to move on to the. Con- yeah. Just before the. Economy no, no, end. no. no yeah. go, ahead, Dana. go ahead. Just just to move on to the economy, because I know you got to run um, and, and Congress and where we're headed with all this stuff. So. Yesterday the Washington Post had a riveting article out on how likely at least a hundred thousand small businesses that used to be the engine of America, American job creation, are going to be permanently shut. Permanently shut. And then they um they really had just one paragraph that sounded like me. It sounded like everything I have been ...doing to define venture socialism, and they almost say it without saying the word. The result, and they talk about the result of everything we've been doing, the trillions of dollars of the fiscal and monetary policy. The result is likely to further shift the balance of power and jobs toward big businesses that have a better chance of surviving the uncertain year ahead by borrowing money or drawing on large cash reserves. Emergency actions by the Federal Reserve, backed by the Treasury, have made borrowing money almost free for large companies. What are you seeing in your district?
0: Well, Daniel, I appreciate that. First of all, we saw the news today that we had over 3 million more claims, pushing the number up to 36 million plus. We're barreling towards 40 million unemployed. It's an extraordinary number, like 22% of the workplace uh, right now. Uh, And, you know, we passed certain measures in the spring uh, ostensibly to help. A few of those provisions are and can help but we've got too many barriers in the way for small businesses. You just pointed out rightly what we've structured is again, when you're throwing a bunch of money around and you've got this kind of an environment is an environment that is just absolutely devastating to small businesses. We've had restaurants closing in Austin, Texas and San Antonio, Texas and the whole country. I've got small business owners and restaurant owners that have asked to meet with me because they can't hire people back because this stupid federal government passed a law that pays people more not to work than to work. And then Put policies in place saying that if you want your loan to be forgiven, i.e. roll the dice to try to survive through this government-mandated shutdown, then, oh, you've got to rehire your people back. And these guys come back to me and say, I can't hire them back because you're paying them more than I was paying them. (laughs) This is what happens when you have centrally uh, planned economy. And guess what? Speaker Pelosi and the Democrats are doubling down on this. They're putting in more on this unemployment insurance, continued payment to uh, get paid more not to work than to work in this bill that we're allegedly voting on tomorrow in Congress. I'm in D.C. right now. Now, a little bit of credit to the Dems, because generally I'm not all that partisan as much as anti-swamp in both parties, is – you know, they, I have a bipartisan bill to fix some of the problems in the PPP in order to give flexibility to small businesses. I mean, if we're going to throw hundreds of billions of dollars around, we'll at least make it work. And credit to the Dems, i sure those provisions are in the bill. But I'm going to have to vote against the bill because it's a $3 trillion bill built with a whole bunch of nonsense. Look, we don't have answers to this in Washington, D.C. D.C. is about making sure that we're doing the best we can do with respect to science and testing and making sure that we're, you know, working with states and getting all the tests out. And at the end of the day, we need to fix what we've already done, audit what we've already done, get the tax code and regulatory state to free up free enterprises, small entrepreneurs and businesses to rehire people, and then get the hell out of the way and let small businesses prosper, let workers have a place to go back to. But if we're going to continue to allow the idea that we're going to have government subsidize the largest economy in the history of mankind, We are destroying it. We're destroying it. The federal government, by the way, is providing the very poison that's killing it by throwing money at it and throwing money at state and local governments with the moral hazard of knowing that the state and local governments are the ones that are shutting down economic activity. And we shouldn't do that. And frankly, Republicans, conservatives, the president, we need to stand up and say that loudly and clearly. I wrote a piece in National Review on March 20th, Daniel, two months ago, saying we need a date certain to be open. Why did I write that on March 20th? Because I knew what government would do. I knew government would get in the way. The government would put up obstacles to the uh, entrepreneurial spirit and the ingenuity of the American people to innovate and to navigate through something like this. I knew that the government would create hysteria and panic because it was already doing it. We need a date certain in which the government is out of the way. That date, in my opinion, is past or certainly imminent. And, and we need to free everybody up to get back to life and get back to work and just get busy living. So that we can preserve this great republic for our kids and our grandkids.
1: So that's my concern, right there. What you are saying is not what I'm hearing from Republicans. Most people hear Republicans say that Pelosi's bill is terrible and it's dead on arrival. But the problem here's my concern going forward. They've done this before, and we know what 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 they're doing. Um, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin is the guy negotiating with Pelosi, and on CNBC two days ago, he said. That, hey, I'm not worried about the borrowing all this money. It's cheap interest rates. Now's the time to do it. He sounded like a used car salesman. And clearly implicit in what he was saying is that he has no problem spending more money. And, you know, you look at how we arrived at where we are. My concern is we're going to head down the same path. Where Republicans basically... And, and I think Pelosi does this on purpose. She loads it up with like election stuff and like illegal immigration stuff and oh, I, jailbreak. I mean, everything the left wants to do is in the bill, but they always do that. And then the Republicans are like, oh, you can't stick all this stuff in the bill. But they, they're going after the cranberry sauce, not the turkey. They're agreeing to the fundamental premise of giving, whether it's maybe 500 billion and not 900 billion or 700 billion to the states that screwed up everything, that are continuing, some, in some cases, indefinitely to violate constitutional rights without any federal oversight, which, as you know, I, I strongly believe that this is an unprecedented time to apply the 14th Amendment, but at the very least, not to give money to those states violating the Constitution. and And rather than stimulate a black hole, and worse, stimulate unemployment, right – Republicans should have a counter-proposal to stimulate a massive rebuilding based on deregulation. But I'm not seeing that. I'm just seeing spend a little less, bail out the states. They all agree to that. Um, just don't put in the extraneous provisions. Or it's like, let's spend $3 trillion fueling, legitimizing, and incentivizing a lockdown. But just don't put in $10 million for the Kennedy Center. And as I said on yesterday's show, I would rather trade the Democrats a hundred billion dollar gold plated Kennedy Center, and not have them destroy our economy, then vice versa.
0: That is a, that is a fantastic point, and I love the uh, cranberry sauce versus turkey line. But look, this is what, uh, what we need to make eminently clear to uh, me my colleagues and everyone here in Washington, which is don't get distracted by the shiny objects, right? These things at the Kennedy Center, all these look guys. You can, but I've said them too. It's like, hey, some of this stuff the bill's bad, but we need to focus on. Look, your, your point is exactly right. If you want to give me a gold-plated Kennedy Center for you know, $100 million, fine. Just don't destroy the economy, right? I mean, not really fine, but, but you know, I'd rather that than a $3 trillion monstrosity that is pr- working to remake our entire existence. That's the problem. And Republicans right now, I promise you, they will go pursue the shiny object. Like, look, let's talk about shiny objects. Uh, all of the litigation uh, protection stuff. Like, look, do I, do I think businesses should generally be able to be open and not worry about trial lawyers going after them? Of course I do. But one, federalism. States should be doing most of that. Most of that's not a federal issue. Number two, that's becoming the, uh, the shiny object that's going to be allowed to drive all of the other decision-making. So would they vote for this return down a monstrosity if it included protections of liability for businesses? I guarantee the Chamber of Commerce and certain leadership people in this town would want that.
1: People have a $3 trillion still remaking our, our society. And, 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 and yeah. Chip, worse than that, you're giving the money to the various states that are shutting them down. So it's like they're worried about private lawsuits. And, and that is a problem, like you mentioned. But the, the more direct, imminent foundational problem is the state and local governments that are – that are going after them. You don't need the trial lawyers at this point. Um, it's the state and local governments going after them and you're giving them more money to do that. I, I just like this is what bothers me. They always it's almost like no matter how bold the contrast is of liberty and tyranny, Republicans have to find a way to muddle it.
0: No, and you're you're right, Daniel. And, and look, it's bringing this kind of to a head. Uh, The reason that I started LetAmericaOpen.com, the reason I put out the ad that I put out, the reason that I wrote the the news week that that I wrote was to try to get people focusing on the actual issue. Like, one, we can open. We can open safely, and we can find a way to protect our seniors and our most vulnerable. We should do that as soon as possible. We need to restore confidence in this country. The second point is Republicans, let's just take that away, conservatives. We need to stand up, and we need to demand what we think is the right path forward. And the right path forward is getting rid of the regulations that are in the way. We've already been seen; we sweeped aside a bunch of regulations. We should keep those swept aside. I've got a bill to do that. We should fix the PPP because it's not doing what it should do for the dollars already spent. And we should audit all that money. I've got a bill to fix the PPP and it's actually bipartisan of all things. We should fix the tax code to provide incentives for people to get back going and get back to work. And then we need to, have a full conversation about civil liberties and revealing what our governments are allowed to do or not do in directly impacting the American people, have that conversation, get government out of the way. This is where conservatives need to be. Now, we can fine-tune that. We need to we can make it a little better. We can have certain bills, but that's where we need to be. We don't need to be playing the game of $3 trillion versus $2 trillion or this for that in order to create a government that is too big. But look, I got to go go do some other stuff here to go fight the liberty. But you Daniel, know, keep up the fight. I really appreciate it. I appreciate all your listeners. Uh, LetAmericaOpen.com. Let's all work hard together to, to do that. Let's save this country for our kids and our
1: grandkids. There you have it, folks. Chip Roy, Congressman, Texas 21. LetAmericaOpen.com. And folks, I also want you guys to go to ChipRoy.com, com. C h i p r o y. C-H-I-P-R-O-Y. Um, And you know what to do. Chip obviously wasn't going to ask for that. He asked you guys to go to Let America Open because he's more concerned about a cause. But if we want him back in Congress, remember, Republicans are going to get crushed because they're doing the worst of all worlds. Chip is now in a competitive district. You got Wendy Davis with just tons of money. Chip barely has any money because the industries won't touch him because of his views. And, you know, it's a good thing. But we got to kick in for him. So that was Chip Roy um, Man, there's a lot I didn't get to. There's so much going on on the fascism front, on the jailbreak front. Someone just sent me this message, and I put it out on Twitter. This guy who was caught molesting um, a mentally disabled woman and all sorts of horrific sexual pornographic things the guy has done in public, and he was let go in California thanks to concern of catching COVID. Um, so that's going on as well. But yeah, I mean, make sure you check out my article about the one chart that exposes this whole thing as a lie. And again, this is not just one thing that people could dismiss. All of the evidence is corroborating this. That you don't even get to even point four until, like, you know, I mean, where is this? There's two serology tests I have in there. This is from the second one. K, um, people under 30.003. Okay, do you know what that is, folks? I'm saying, do you understand what that is? That's like three and a 100,000. People in their 30s, pretty much the same, Point zero zero eight People in their 40s, .017. Pretty much the same deal. Even people from 50 to 54, .058. So that's roughly half of .1. It's not until you cross 55 to 59, you get over .1. And then 60 to 64, you get to close to 0.3. Upper 60s, you could start getting to 0.7. And even then, again, it, it's really dependent. I mean, if you're in your upper 60s, you've got a lot of heart problems. That's different from one that doesn't. That's going to be remarkably lower than that. Remember, the way you calculate this to be very clear is, the problem is we don't have a denominator. We know this has spread far and wide asymptomatically, according to the Dutch serology, Um Anywhere from ninety to ninety-eight percent in a given group of people are mild or asymptomatic. So you know that's including both mildly symptomatic and asymptomatic. So you have to do random sampling, and you do enough of it, and you do it large enough, consistently enough, you get an idea of how many people have it. Okay, and if you really did, you would get the denominator now. So that now you know how many people in each, each age group got or likely got the virus. Okay, then you just take the death numbers by age and you divide it. But the problem with that is and that's what these numbers are, but it's really lower than that for a targeted stratified risk assessment where you want to, you know, protect those that are vulnerable while letting those who aren't vulnerable go out because almost all of those deaths especially when you get under under 55, they're there are people, I mean, even over 55, but again, you know, more people over that age do have the conditions anyway. But what I'm saying is they have those conditions. So, if, you know, if you're someone, you know, let's say we're saying, all right, you're 50 to 54, it's half of 0.1 is your rate. But that's simply taking the deaths of people 50 to 54 who almost to a person had heart or diabetes or pulmonary conditions, Let's say you don't. It's 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 like being struck by lightning. That that's the point here. That's the point. Remember when you see these surveys: 0.1, 0.2, 0.3 death rate, which is in itself much lower than the three point four of the World Health Organization, or some of these like Spain. They came out one yesterday it was even over one. So a couple of things you have to remember. Number one. Half of all deaths are in nursing homes. In, in Spain, it's actually close to 60%, which is why the number is so high. Take out the nursing homes. Nothing else, just nursing homes. Then come back to me with the numerator and denominator. What does that look like? It's going to be less than half of that. But then also, remember, it's, it's very heterogeneous. It's very lopsided. Extremely lopsided. It's not uniform. So top line numbers are meaningless. Like for example, a French study, a French study had very similar numbers to the Netherlands one, just came out yesterday, for those under like 55. But the top line rather than being like 0.2 was 0.7, it was higher. But then I looked and I saw they actually divided up not just by age but by gender. And what's interesting is like below 50 there's almost no gender gap. It starts increasing, really goes up after 70, and then it goes gangbusters after 80. They had like females over 50, over 80, um, it's like a 5% death rate, and then males, it had 17.5%. So something is either funny with that, I mean, it, some of it is true, but, you know, so that skewed the entire thing. So, so even the top line numbers of serology tests are meaningless at this point. There is no way our government does not have a sampling. They, they, they did about 4,000 there in Denmark, in, in uh, Netherlands. Now, we are about, gosh, I don't know what, um, 15 times bigger than them. So let's say you do at least 50,000. We should have a chart put out broken down by age and certain health status. There is no way they don't have that data. The problem is they can't put that out because people would be utterly shocked as to what we did to ourselves for such a risk, even if those policies would have helped given the collateral damage, much less that we have proven over and over and over again. That this has been here since December, at least. And the ship sailed. And it spread so much asymptomatically. We all we did was lock down people indoors and destroyed their vitamin D deficient, their vitamin D um, levels, which, by the way, is a huge risk factor for COVID itself. And killed more people. Not to mention all the articles on stroke, cancer, heart. And again, that's the big difference. I Look, if I didn't do what I do for a living, even, even if I did politics and current events, but I focused on what I typically do, the courts and immigration and, and spending and different things, and I didn't study this carefully, I would have also thought that the risks are much higher. Anyone would have, based on what they're saying. It's just simply not true. It's a very known population, but that population is almost all retired. And a massive number are in nursing homes. So that makes it a much more confined strategic problem that you could deal with in a much more targeted, balanced, and efficient way. This is the main point. This is the central point that's not being put out. And again, the other article I'm going to have out today that we have downright caught them and they're saying openly, CDC says anyone who tests positive, they died of it. Well, they could be 30 years old who died of drug overdose and killed himself in a park. Like, well, that's a COVID death. I'm seeing more and more stories of this. If you want to share with me, dhorowitz at blazemedia.com or go to our um, Facebook page, Minutemen speak Speakeasy, that's a private one, the public one, Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Share this information with us. If you're seeing more of this either anecdotally from your lives um, in your communities or you're seeing news articles locally that I have missed, I guarantee you there's a lot more of this going on. This is a huge problem. A huge problem. Again, I want to be very careful here. I'm not saying that someone who had is was 55 year old, 55 years old, and he had diabetes and he was kind of obese, but he had no there was no really sign of him dying anytime soon. He was obviously at risk to living, you know, less than the life expectancy of the typical person, you know, 80 or so. But, you know, there are no signs he was going to die. He gets covid, he dies. You know, the ICU doctor totally sees what it did to his lungs. Yeah, I mean, that's the comorbidities is a different point. That just means that, yeah, he definitely died from COVID. It's just that the other argument that it's a vulnerable population and we need to protect, focus our protection on those people. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people that downright totally did not die from it. They could have gotten an asymptomatic case, much less not a lethal case. And they died from alcohol, drugs, accident, heart attack, stroke, you name it, depending on the age. And they totally code it as COVID, even against the judgment of a coroner. How much of that is happening? Because again, it didn't make sense that we are weeks past the peak, at least a month past the peak in almost every state. And the deaths are going up and up and up and up and up and getting recoded. Because they want to get that 100,000 number. And according to the Washington Post, this is what Deborah Burke said in a meeting. Now, it's off the record, anonymous sourcing, but it's not like we're reinventing the wheel here because she was the one who actually let the cat out of the bag originally publicly and said that. She didn't say, I'm, I'm concerned they're inflating it, but she did say, look, you know, anyone who tests positive, we do have a very liberal definition. She did say that. She said other countries don't do that. I'm paraphrasing there. I don't have the quote in front of me, but that that's basically what she said. So, I mean, every step is a lie. It's a lie when this started and what we could have done to prevent it. The severity of what we did. The legality behind what we do. The science behind what we do. The risk stratification. And now even the numerator itself. When you have every blue politician... And and a number of Republicans going along with it, saying that we're going to do this indefinitely. We're going to contact trace you. We're going to, you know, even schools in, in the fall, there's questions. You know that's no longer being governed by science and fact. And you know that they will do everything in their power to manipulate the data to achieve the results they want. This is why we need to put out the truth. And this is why I need you guys to help keep the lights out. Lights on, not out (laughs) lights on. This is our last day at blaze TV running our $30 off special promo code Daniel. Go to CRTV. Sorry, blaze tv.com forward slash CR promo code Daniel blaze tv.com forward slash CR put in promo code Daniel, get 30% off your entire annual subscription to every bit of content we have. It's a lot of good shows. We have Chad Panther, my colleague, uh, Yesterday had on Shelley Luther, um, the woman who was thrown in jail in Dallas for opening up her business with five people in it with masks and being very careful. <sighs> I can't believe this is happening, but we're in an information war. There's so much going on. I don't even have enough to catch up on and read, much less disseminate. But this is why I need you guys as my force multiplier, my troops. So again, sign up for our public and private pages, Minimum Speak Speakeasy and Horowitz Citizen Sanctuary. Help contribute. Um, a lot of you guys are really putting out solid stuff. I'm getting a lot of good information. Some of these stories I got from you guys as well that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Again, stay knowledgeable. Question, question everything. And let's fight for liberty.